0: Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter one, verse three, going to Genesis chapter two, verse three. This is the reading of God's word. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our likeness, in our image, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Last week, we started a new series called In the Beginning, where we're looking at the first four chapters of Genesis to better understand where we came from. Because we believe understanding where we came from actually helps us process what we're going through now, and gives us a better idea of where we're headed. Now obviously the first question that always comes up anytime you read through the Genesis account is, but did that really happen? I mean, what about everything we know about science? What about evolution? Did God really create the world in seven days? And if he did, are we talking about seven 24-hour days? Are we talking about periods of time? And these questions can be very real barriers for both Christians and non-Christians in terms of believing the validity of the Bible. So let me first pause and say this. There are many gospel-affirming Christians who have very different perspectives on the origin of the universe, on how to read Genesis, on whether or not you're supposed to read this literally. And these are all very important questions to consider, questions that we definitely can't get to today because of time, But I will say this, I think oftentimes, we get so caught up asking questions that Genesis 1 was never intending to answer. And we get so bogged down with the details that we end up missing the beauty of the creation story altogether. Now the first question you have to ask any book of the Bible when you read it is, what was the author originally intending to say? Now I can tell you on my bookshelf over there, I have an American history textbook. I have some children's books, I have an issue of Time magazine, got some fiction novels, got a book on leadership. All meant to be read very differently. When you open up the book of Philippians, for example, right away, based on the structure of that text, you know that what you're looking at is a letter. A letter addressed to specific people living in a specific time and place. When you open up the book of Psalms, Right away, you can tell by the structure of the passages that what you're looking at is a collection of songs meant to be read a certain way. And in Genesis 1, right away, you should have immediately noticed the poetic structure of this text. There's this clear pattern of repetition where you have these words and thoughts and ideas that kind of come up over and over and over again. And what many scholars believe is that Genesis 1 is not a historical narrative. It's not an excerpt from a science textbook. Genesis 1 is actually a song meant to communicate something very specific about the nature of God. In other words, the primary intent of Genesis 1 is not to make a historical claim or a scientific claim. The primary intent of Genesis 1 is to make a theological claim about the God who created the heavens and the earth. Now, this is very exciting to me as a musician, because if this is true, if Genesis 1 is a song, then it completely changes the way we read this text and understand it. Because I want you to think about how we listen to songs and how songs are written. We don't listen to songs for all the mechanics uh, for why or how something happened. We listen to songs to feel something. We want songs to convey something very real to us about the artist and his or her stories. Every great songwriter has this incredible ability to be able to take these simple words and organize them in such a way that communicates something so profound about the fragility of love, about the nostalgia of childhood, about the pain of heartbreak, sometimes in a single line. You know, I think about the line from one of my favorite songs, Falling Slowly. Um, And it says this, Take this sinking boat and point it home. We still got time. So simple, yet packed with meaning. And when Glenn Hansard wrote these words, I don't think he meant for us to ask, I wonder what kind of boat he was sitting on when he wrote this. No, Glenn Hansard was trying to communicate something very real to us about the nature of love, about the nature of relationships. And I think when we begin to see Genesis 1 as a song, it will completely change our approach to the text. Now, every great song has a hook. And a hook is just a memorable motif or an idea that kind of comes up over and over again that captures what the artist is trying to say. So the first question we have to ask is, what is the hook in Genesis 1? What is the thing that gets repeated over and over again that gives us a clue as to what God wants to convey about his nature? And I think the first thing we see is this. Every section of this text starts with this phrase, and God said, and it was so. Verse 9, and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear, and it was so. Verse 11, and God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds, and it was so over and over and over again, and God said, and it was so. God speaks, and it happens. In other words, the first thing we learn about God in Genesis 1 through its hook is his power, the power of God. He's a God who spoke the entire cosmos into existence. He's a God who always executes what he envisions. You know, I used to play a lot more basketball when I was younger, and this is how you know you're getting old. Uh, when there's a huge gap between what you envision yourself doing and what you look like to other people. Okay, uh, just last week, I saw this random video of myself jumping around with my kids and it was so embarrassing, I had to delete it immediately. Because I remember thinking that I was getting up pretty high. I was getting up like 10 inches off the ground. Okay, what I executed was definitely not what I envisioned. What I thought I looked like definitely was not what I looked like. But we don't see that gap with the God of creation. Whatever he imagines, he executes. Whatever he starts, he finishes. The power of God. Okay? Not only do we see the power of God, we also see his purpose. One of the things you notice immediately as you read Genesis 1 is how methodical God's approach is to his creation. From the very beginning, he has a clear plan and a purpose for everything. Okay, notice on the first three days, he spends all his time building the house, building the canvas, building the habitat. And then in the second three days, he spends all his time filling that house with inhabitants, with living creatures, with plants, with human beings. And everything is in its right place and nothing is there by accident. And we know this because after each day, God kind of sits back and surveys his labor and he evaluates it. He asks himself, I wonder if there's anything else that needs to be improved. But notice what it says after every day. It says, after each day, God surveys what he's done and saw that it was good. In other words, all things are living out the purpose for which they were created. And God looks upon that and says, it is good. You know, I've been watching the Michael Jordan documentary that came out last week. And uh, my goal is to weave that documentary into every sermon for, I don't know, however many weeks, uh, because I love MJ so much. And in my opinion, one of the darkest moments in the history of basketball was when the goat walked away from the game to play a sport he was never meant to play. And we all know this. I mean, you could argue that maybe he wasn't that bad of a baseball player, but we all know that every time Michael Jordan stepped up to the plate, we looked at that image and we said, there's something wrong with that. There's something about that that doesn't look right. Because you had this guy who literally revolutionized the game of basketball, walking around wearing a baseball glove, and the world collectively looked at that and said, yeah, that isn't good. He's not fulfilling his intended purpose. And herein lies the big problem. We believe in a God who was intimately involved in every aspect of his creation, who thoughtfully crafted every living, moving, breathing thing with a specific purpose. But when sin entered the world, it kind of shifted everything out of its proper place. And all of a sudden, not only did you have famine and sickness and death, You had human beings who were created to worship God starting to worship created things instead. Instead of filling the earth, we started exploiting the earth. Instead of enjoying the good gifts God gave us, we started worshiping those gifts as gods themselves. And we all know that anything that does something it was not intended to do for a long enough time, at some point will break. There is always A breaking point. And today we look at the world we live in, and if it wasn't obvious to us before, it is painfully obvious to us now. It isn't good. Things aren't the way it's supposed to be. Life isn't the way it's supposed to be. People aren't supposed to die without their loved ones by their side. People aren't supposed to attack each other. People aren't supposed to be without food and basic necessities. We aren't good. We are sick. And I'm not just talking about COVID-19. I think covid 19s just revealed just how sick we really are. And we're so sick and we're so broken that there's a part of us that feels like we're never going back to Genesis 1. That we're never going to get there ever again. And we thought if we just made more money, we thought if we had more fame, more popularity, that someone would call us good. But we know that never happens because every time someone gives us an evaluation, whether it's a spouse or a friend or a neighbor or a parent, or every time we evaluate ourselves, you know what we hear? We hear a little voice that says, you are not good. Just do a little more and then maybe you'll be good. Just try a little harder then maybe you'll be good. And when we begin to dig deeper, we realize that Genesis 1 is telling us exactly why we feel the way we do. That what all of us really want, what all of us are really long for, is for the one who created us to look upon us to call us good. But this is why day 7 of creation is so profound. Day 7 is God's mic drop. It is what makes this creation story different from all other creation accounts. Up to this point, we've seen the power of God, we've seen the purpose of God, but here in day seven, we get the peace of God. You know, all great songwriters do this thing where they'll get you used to a certain hook, something that comes up over and over again, and at the very end of the song, they'll switch it up just for a moment, kind of, you know, flip things around, throw you a curveball, and suddenly that just blows your mind. Well, this is what we see in day seven of creation. Because up to this point, we've gotten used to the rhythm. We've gotten used to the hook. And it's this constant rhythm of God speaking, creating, and then blessing his creation. But we don't see that in day seven. In day seven, God doesn't speak. He doesn't create. And the only thing he blesses is the day itself. Notice what it says. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now I want you to think about this. In all the other six days, God looks upon his work, he evaluates it, judges it, and says, it is good. But on the seventh day, God rests. Not because his energy is depleted, but because his work is completed. It is finished. And I want you to think about the implications of that. We live in a world full of people telling us we're not good. Our families telling us we're not good. The news telling us we're not good. Our bank accounts telling us we're not good. But you know what we do every Lord's Day? We rest in God's completed work. And the reason why we can rest, even when the world around us looks nothing like Genesis 1, is that the Creator of the universe the one who existed before time began, stepped into the very world he created, hung on a cross, and took upon his shoulders everything in the world that wasn't good. And with his final breath, you know what he said? It is finished. It is finished. And in the same way God looked upon his work and saw that it was good, today as the people of God, We look upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, knowing that even when it feels like everything is falling apart around us, God looks at us and sees the perfect life and sacrificial death of his son. He looks upon us and says, you are very good. And we realize that that's what we all want to hear. We realize that that's what we all need to hear now more than ever. So friends, let's rest today because we believe in a creator who always executes what he envisions, who always finishes what he starts. And today God speaks over us and he says, it is finished and you are very good. Let's pray. Gracious God, this morning, we thank you for this reminder that even in a world that doesn't always seem good, we can still find rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So for those of us who come today with anxious or fearful hearts, help us to remember that the one who created the heavens and the earth with a word holds our lives and our world in the palm of his hand. We thank you for this word today. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.